Hello and welcome on The Barricade. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics. I am your host, Maria Cernat, an academic based in Bucharest. And with me, as usual, is the Bulgarian-born Polish journalist, Bojan Stanislavski, the co-host of the show. Thank you for being here with us, Bojan. Hi, great to be here. And Yuri Smother, the producer and host of One Plus One, a podcast discussing a lot of things, politics, international politics, from a critical perspective. And from time to time, our co-host here on The Barricades. Thank you for being here with us, Yuri. An honor to be here. Thank you for having me back on. So this is the last episode where we discuss impressions from the trip Boyan took to Palestine. He was there for almost a week, five days, if I'm not mistaken, and six days. And um, he also had the possibility to visit a refugee camp. Uh, He was there at the initiative of a very interesting European Union organization, Europol, which is an organization. No, no, it's not. No, sorry, I have to. Uh, to uh, it's not Europol, and it's important to state that because they get confused a lot, and those people they okay. get kind of angry with people who make this confusion. So let me just kind of. So they are not Europol. Europol is European police force which operates uh, throughout uh, the European Union. Whereas they, the organization, the agency, the structure, maybe I should say, uh, is Upol Cops and Upol Cops. Oh. Yes, and and this is a European Union police and justice system mission to the West Bank, supporting the Palestinian Authority to the extent that it has authority. This is uh, very to... interesting indeed, isn't it? That the yeah. European Union provides this kind of assistance through this organization to the authorities in Palestine, and also. Yes has a close relation with the authorities there and they try to help in terms probably of procedures, rule of law and good practices. And uh, you were there uh, along with other journalists and uh, you were presented that you took a trip to also to a refugee camp. Now, you explained in the previous segment of our show that a lot of uh, Palestinians live in uh, refugee camps. And to my surprise, and I think a lot of viewers were surprised to find out that they lived there for quite a while, for decades now. Uh, Since it was very difficult to come back to Palestine due to very um, dire circumstances resulting from war, from the politics of Israel and all the rest. Now, tell us a little bit about this refugee camp. What was your impression? Um, How did you tell us about the trip? Walk us through if you you like. Sure. So first of all, I think I should start by explaining that, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in Middle East affairs or especially Palestine-Israeli conflict. I'm not an expert on those issues. And uh, this is why I think it's important to stress on the word that we used, that you, Maria, used in your introduction now and that we've used in our previous programs uh, dedicated to my impressions. And exactly that's the word impressions because I that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm kind of, uh, I can be referring to uh, here. So it's just uh, just what I've seen and my political conclusions uh, and some other, of course, in, in other aspects. But again, this I'm, I'm speaking from authority of nothing here. Okay, uh, it's uh, it, it has never been my 
particular field of expertise or anything like that. So I uh, and it's quite an accidental, 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 sorry, coincidence that I actually was one of the people chosen uh, to go there. I intend, of course, to use it to the maximum and I intend to deepen my knowledge. And most of all, I intend to uh, put together a short documentary, mini documentary movie. Uh, and we're working on that now with our art director here at our publishing house. So, uh, okay, having made that disclaimer, I'm now jumping into the question of the refugee camp. I think this is very important and perhaps the most important moment of my visit to the West Bank. Uh, I've seen quite a few places, although not as many as I wish, but that's, you know, here we are. I mean, the situation in terms of security um, is not really... Uh, something that, uh, you know, I mean, it's not really favoring trips here and there. Uh, it's uh, especially when you're there for the first time and you're not familiar uh, with the circumstances, then you really have to be careful and you have to be uh, guarded, like uh, in the case of this refugee camp. So we went to Bethlehem uh, and there is a refugee camp there. Uh, established in 1948, back in 1948, uh, it's called AIDA. And refugee camps in Palestine or in the Middle East in general, they are not what you might think, what you might associate uh, in your head uh, with in Europe. Like it's not an institutionalized kind of closed area uh, where you have, you know, people who are looking for, who had just applied for asylum or something like that and they're, paperwork is being reviewed it's not like you know a closed area it's rather i, I mean it is closed now because of the walls that uh that israel built but uh it's mostly densely populated area of a certain village or town this is what those refugee camps are and they are refugee camps because the base the way they were created is that the united nations back in the 40s, late 40s, early 50s, and later on as well, by the way, was uh, renting the land from, you know, the concrete specific owner for like, I don't know, 99 years or something, and would use this area to set up a refugee camp. And despite the fact that it looks different, way different than, you know, refugee camps that you would encounter in Europe, it is a refugee camp. It has such a status. And those people, they are referred to as refugees, because they are in refuge, technically, at least speaking, because they don't live where they used to live. And uh, many of those, many of those people, they actually still hold keys. You know, they have keys like passed from generation to generation of the house where they used to live. Many of those houses were demolished. Now they're not there. Uh, but some of the houses are still there and they're inhabited by, uh, you know, by non-Palestinians. Israel. Israelis, yeah. Yeah, Israelis or people who you know, uh, who are not necessarily Jewish, but are Israeli uh, uh, citizens. So uh, now the other thing which is unusual uh, is the fact that we have now the fourth generation basically being born in in this refugee camp and many other refugee, uh, refugee camps, which means that, you know, people have basically... Uh, 
you know, created conditions or tried to create conditions for them to live relatively normal lives to the extent that you can have a normal life in a situation like that. But I think it's very important to, uh, that, that's at least a very, that was an impression which was very strong and very important for me that, you know, even in this super dire situation, if you, if you're focused on your kind of, uh, uh, you know, if you let your humanistic instincts and intuitions, you know, play their role in guiding you through life, then you will inevitably find strength and room to, you know, uh, set, uh, to, to create families, to, you know, set up businesses and do all those things, of course, to the extent that you can in these situations, but that is possible. And those people are demonstrating it there. And uh, I met people who are running small businesses there. I met people who are working uh, in the refugee camp or somewhere outside the refugee camp, but within the West Bank. I met people who work for settlers, for Israeli settlers, and who are from, who are, you know, who have been leaving in this uh, refugee camp ever since, right? Uh, so uh, that's, that's important, uh, but that's, you know, important not so much in the sense that they, they are able to survive, but the way that they are able to survive, you know, in a creative manner, they are able to to, to create satisfying lives for themselves. And uh, I've uh, I've mentioned that already. You know, I met someone who's an actor. I, I recorded a short interview with him, an actor. He didn't speak English very well, but normally most of the Palestinians they are very well educated. But but, but his English was relatively weak. But we did manage to, to to have like a conversation where he would explain that he's an actor. I mean, he's not working as an actor. He was working as a hairdresser or something like that. But occasionally he wants to. Uh, he he kind of you know goes to all kinds of theatric circles and 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 associations and stuff like that. And he he acts. Uh, he spent two years in the Israeli prison for throwing a rock as a 16-year-old, by the way, uh, at, uh, at an armored vehicle or something like that. Uh, then uh, we met uh, uh, a, a kind of uh, a person that was a leader of an artistic association who was, uh, who was organizing, improvising, basically, a theater kind of uh, environment and theater groups uh, to uh, to have... To, to, so that there is some cultural life also there. I met, uh, you know, people who are, uh, who are, who are willing to travel to Europe to educate themselves and then go back and, uh, contribute to the life of the community there. Uh, but, you know, one thing that was uniting all those people is that they are, they were trying to turn their suffering into something positive. And I think this is incredible. This is really something that, uh, kind of makes them makes them different and and makes them inspirational. All those uh, Palestinians that I've encountered during this short visit, because you know, I'm sure there's a lot of frustration. I'm sure there's a lot of anger. I'm sure there are many negative emotions within the Palestinian community. But you know, those people that I met, they were completely random. I mean, I I'm not saying that they are fully representing the spirit of the entire Palestinian community, but I think that, you know, this factor cannot be ignored. I even met people who own a small um, artisan shop where, you know, they collect the gas canisters, tear gas canisters, uh, that the Israeli army shoots at them, you know, and, and this Ida camp has the reputation of being the most gassed place in the world for the last, I don't know how many decades, okay? 
Mm. Wow. So they collect it, okay? They collect those canisters of, of tear gas when they are safe to be collected. And they, they uh, uh, kind of unmount all the uh, kind of... Uh, all the unnecessary from their point of view parts. And then they, they turn it into jewelry. Like what they, you know, they, they kind of, uh, they unmount everything. They, they, they kind of de- de- deconstruct it, de- de- disassemble it. And then, you know, they, they take small parts of the aluminum here of the iron there, and they turn it into earrings or, uh, badges or brushes, you, you know, that kind of stuff. See folks, we can transition away from war. <laughs> Yeah. We can have a peaceful transition away from war making. <laughs> right. So I'm just uh, I'm just giving those examples. I'm just giving those examples to show you that, you know, those people, despite the fact and I've spoken at length uh, during the previous two segments, so I'm not going to repeat myself here and what kind of dire situation they are in. And, you know, the war and the Israeli army raids and the wall around it and, and everything basically is really, really horrible. And yet those people can be still, you know, they don't live in eternal depression and, 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 you know, anxiety and all the rest of it. They are willing to fight. They are willing to resist. They have an ideology and they are trying to be as optimistic as possible. And I think this is an example to follow. This is, this is a lesson that, you know, we should learn because our our situation in Europe uh, is very very dire too, but not not even remotely as dire as the one that Palestine the Palestinians are facing and have been facing for the last nearly eighty years. So I think that if they can demonstrate optimism, faith, and and the willingness to act and to be consistent and to sacrifice, uh, you know, some part of their energy, their daily life, their time, their you know all, all the resources that they have, the little they have. Uh, then we should we should be able to do the same. This is very interesting. You know what is it reminds me of? It reminds me for, of the very very dire circumstances we were in in the last years of Ceausescu's rule, when he became truly senile and truly authoritarian, and it was almost unbearable. The stupidity of everyday life, bureaucracy, all this theatrics, you know, propaganda, everything was horrible. And um, you could find in the society a sense of solidarity, friendship, and hope that uh, is unparalleled in any kind of historical, you know, a period of the Romanian uh, people or Romanian historical provinces in the sense that people had meaning. And I think this is very, very important. And I think the lesson for the left is that uh, we stop believing and we stop creating this type of optimism and hope and giving people meaning. Inspiration. Inspiration, meaning, and uh, an ideal to fight Mm. for. And uh, yeah, maybe the Western left, the Western left, because I see lots of optimism in Latin America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they may but, they may be very true what you're saying in the sense that it depends a lot. And I think the Western left that's been colonized by all sorts of, you know, what I call the privatization of the left, you know, and you have many, you know, enterprising, trying to write application prose to get grants, and they are transforming leftist ideas and progressive thinking itself into a means to a higher end, and that is getting money for 
grants and all the rest. This is very interesting how people in these very, very dire circumstances are able to find meaning, hope, ideals. Yeah, but I think, you know, Maria, I think it speaks to the question of... um kind of philosophy of life, uh, like I don't want to turn it into a philosophical debate here now, but I, I really think it's important because, uh, you know, the European the European nations, they used to have like various ideologies, some of them, some of them very negative, but, but they used to, to believe in something, they used to believe in their historical missions and all the rest of it, right? But now it seems like the in the West, but particularly in, in Western Europe, and I think it just spills over um, to Eastern Europe, is that you know, nothing makes sense. Nihilism is the best option. Like, you know, you know, you don't need anything. The points of reference, because they are regarded as as conservative, but the points of the points of reference which build the culture that we live in, like you know, having a family, having kids, I don't know, going to church and all the rest of it, you know, they are they are basically regarded as some kind of retrograde nonsense. And uh, you know, maybe those people propping up those theories, they might even have a point here or there, but the point is that they don't have anything instead to offer, you know? So, okay, we've basically taken down the kind of uh, conservative reference points because they were repressive and all the rest of it. Okay, they were repressive, but then, you know, we don't really have anything except for there's no future. <laughs> and many people well, believe that. <laughs> well, before, well, well let's, yeah. let, let, let's, let's, let's not get derailed to, to, you know, shitting on the Western... <laughs> That's the that's we we we've talked about that before, and that's another conversation for another day. Right. But going back to going back to Israel Palestine, though, I'm curious. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you, you you know you said that uh, you know that, uh, that 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 it is a topic you follow, but it's not a topic that you're like a scholar in, like say mm-hmm. you know your you know like say your good friend uh, you know good friend of you know, you know of the show you know Paul J who covered uh, it, who who made a point to cover Israel Palestine a lot uh, on the real news and on analysis uh, dot news. So then I'm just curious, were are were you one of those uh, uh, leftists who, when following Israel Palestine? Uh, uh, still believed in the, uh, you know, in the in the, in the idea of a two-state solution, but when you're there and you do see, you know, the occupation, uh, you you get a front row seats to the occupation, you get a front row seats into, you know, the misery of that. Are are, are so if you, so if you, if you were a believer in the two-state solution, are you now a believer in what most Palestinians are actually calling for the diaspora and even people? Within Palestine, uh, that uh, that you know, look. Even if we want a two-state solution, it's over. It's simply unfeasible. So we want the one. So we want the the one-state solution, the one democratic, secular state solution. I'm curious. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, well, look, I'm I'm prepared to support any solution that is going to actually be a solution because so far we haven't had any of this. Like I've only seen 70 years of violence and repression and terrorism and all the rest of it. So uh, any solution is welcome, I suppose. The point is what solution is possible because the two-state solution seems increasingly impossible and it seems impossible. And, and, you know, Israel... No, it's, dead, be- well, it's, it, it's deader than dead. Yeah, like, that, like that's what it's I'm trying dead, to say. I mean, dead because of the dead because of Israel's ongoing illegal settlements in the West Bank, in East Jerusalem, Gaza. <laughs> yes, Gaza is nominally free, but as but, 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 as we've seen, it's uh, Israel and you know and the collective West have put it under an embargo because they had the audacity to vote for somebody that wasn't. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't the the preferred uh, the the preferred leadership of Israel 
and its allies. Uh-huh. And that ends, and, 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 you know, pe- pe- people like Miko Paled, brilliant, is, you know, you know, Israeli uh, journalist, uh, historian and activist. Many of them say that, 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 that it, they just, they, they just don't see how you can do what Ariel Sharon did, which is, which is remove all of those illegal settlements from Gaza. That's, it's past the point of no return, and which is why so many people say that the democratic one state solution is the only is is the only game in town, and then that also settles the issue of what do you do with the what you know with the with the Palestinian diaspora, which would like to return to historic Palestine. I'm. I mean, they, they can't all fit in Gaza. They can't all fit in the West Bank. They can't all fit in East Jerusalem. So, therefore, in terms of the right of return, there can only be the democratic, one-state, secular uh, solution. Curious your thoughts on that, having been to, uh, you know, having been to... Right, well, it's very difficult for me to speak in, in such a categoric manner that only this is possible, only that is possible, because I really don't know enough. Uh, and also, I'm thinking that... Uh, okay, well, I, possible... I'm telling you that is the only solution. <laughs> yeah, okay, well... The two-state solu- the, 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 the two delusion is only that. The two-state solution is only that now, a delusion uh, now, given Israel has been kicking the can down the road and has been... And, and has been Ongoing, even when they had Yitzhak Rabin, even when they, uh, even when they were, you know, this close to a two-state solution under Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat, Rabin of the Labour Party was still doing illegal settlements uh, when all of this, uh, in, yeah, when they, you know, when 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 him and Arafat got the Nobel Prize and all that. Uh, all that, yeah, well, okay. I take your word for that, but then I want to tell you that there are many. You know, you speak to uh, go try and speak to some Israeli journalists. No, I'm not talking about mainstream Israeli journalists who are going to tell you that I don't know the all the Arabs should be carpet bombed or something like that. I'm talking about people who understand and 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 are sympathetic to the cause of the Palestinian people, and you know they will tell you that. Uh, they will tell you contradictory theories, like, for example, that uh, the Jewish people are never going to agree and no Jewish person is ever going to agree to live in a country where they are a minority again because of the Holocaust and, and their history and stuff like that. And, and you know, That's again, why. you want to take you want to take their word for it. Like, in a sense, I cannot really discuss it. But, but what I can say is that I've seen I've seen the following. It's going to be I think that it's 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 highly unlikely that you can have a two-state solution for one simple reason, regardless of what one thinks or what one wants. The situation is the following. Even if Israel today said that, okay, we're withdrawing from, we're going to allow the Palestinians to have their state in, in, in Gaza and in the West Bank, and, uh, you know, we're going to let them, we're going to let them have those territories in their civil and and police and army administra- military administration okay we're going to but then in the west bank you already have about 800,000 settlers 1 million soon okay settlers israeli settlers how are they going to be deported from there who's going to take who's going to even organize it for this in order to to basically remove 1 million people from one area and put them somewhere else you need someone like joe stalin Okay, and I I can't quite see one. So you know, I don't think it's really possible. And one one of the things that I've heard many times repeated, well, including well, by well, the prime minister. Well, well, that well that well that's why the one state solution is the only game in town. Whether the Israelis won, uh, whether the Israelis and their and their and their supporters uh, like it or not. Yeah, well, but uh, you know, I mean, there's that. And, I mean, there's the, that. The and there's, is- and there, I mean, I mean, there's that. And then there's just the ultra Zionist final solution, which is. 
kick all the Palestinians out of Gaza. Yeah, and and I'm, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure, and then Israel can finally be this this. Yeah, but but that's this, but that's this another Jewish question. Only state, which it is, it's it it, it is an ethnocracy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a Jewish-only state because uh, among the 10 million inhabitants of Israel, or around 10 million, I mean, there are many Russians, there are many Arabs, there are many other yeah. nationalities. <laughs> and also the Jewish community itself is very split along uh, rituals and, uh, and and kind of uh, the, the certain type of faith that they practice and all the rest of it. So I wouldn't say it's a, it's a monolith, or at least I see no evidence for that. But w- what I'm trying to say... It's a, melting is, pot. It's, 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 it's a melting pot of many Jews, no doubt about that, but it is... A Jewish only state. It's it. I, I I see no evidence of this being a Jewish only state. But like I I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to discuss the nature of Israel here. What I want to discuss is the the question of of the possibilities or lack of possibilities for uh, two or one state solutions. Because I, and again I'm sharing my impressions here. I don't know the, all, all the details. I'm not so familiar with the history of the whole conflict. Probably I, I'm more ignorant than you, Yuri, about this. Uh, because I'm not just prepared to make these categorical statements about it. Now I think that the that it would be rational and it would be desirable to have one democratic secular state uh, uh, where, you know, the two communities would come to two, three, four, five, whatever amount of communities would come together and discuss this. But, you know, I, I don't see how it's going to be possible given there's so much hatred between, uh, you know, the Palestinians and the Jewish, uh, you know, the Israelis. How are they going to sit at one table and discuss now? Okay, so, so from from uh, in one year time or ten years time from now, we're going to uh, build a, a state where we're going to live together peacefully and all. Re- I, I just can't quite imagine this happening. I, Maybe it's possible. I'd like you to Maybe make an possible, observations, but... guys. Here, I think it's very <clears throat> risky to discuss these matters without them. You know, I mean, I think. Yeah, but I'm not discussing it like to... you know. I'm not trying to put forward any no, solutions. Yes, I'm trying yes, to yes, answer yes, the question whether I... there are solutions mm-hmm. or not. And in my opinion, based on the impressions that I'm getting, it's going to be. It, it's very. It's highly unlikely that the, that the represent, political representations of both of those communities could find a common ground in order to discuss a creation of a of a state which will be mutually governed. I just can't quite see the option of how is this going to technically happen. Maybe it's possible. Maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I don't know about well, things. I would, back, well, I would only. I, I would push back saying that it's both sides that that that, that, that are making it impossible, given that. The Palestinians under Yasser Arafat, uh, you, you know, under you know, under Fatah, conceded to saying that they recognize Israel from the night from, from, from what was created after World War II, and they conceded to a two-state solution, uh, and they conceded to a two-state solution. But then, after the murder of Yitzhak Rabin, and then the far and 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 then, and then the right wing, the Netanyahu's of the world. Uh, the uh, uh, who was that? Uh, the, the the other piece of shit whose name uh, completely escapes me now. <laughs> but anyways, uh, anyways, after after Abin's you know murder, yeah. Anyways, after Abin's murder, when it, w- when it when it was Ariel Sharon, and then and and then and then, and then Netanyahu and all those guys, even uh, even even under the Labour Party, even under Olmart and so forth, even though, okay. Likud definitely does. Uh, Likud does not believe in you know, you know the two state solution. They believe in a Jewish only solution. Let the Palestinians go to Jordan. Let the Palestinians go to whatever country. But yeah, but this is but this is again but it's a matter of belief. But, but, and but how even, are you going to kick out no, but, ten, since six million no, but, people? But, but even under the Labour Party and even even under the previous government before before the new right wing cocktail mm-hmm. that 
Israel has right now. Even so, so even under you know Year Lapid and the coalition government they had with Neftali Bennett, who was an ultra far right Zionist, he would be perfect in this current government that Netanyahu has whipped up. So even Israeli parties like that who believe in a two state solution, they say they believe in a two state solution. When you really get into the nitty gritty and you ask them, okay, you you say you believe in a two state solution, so then that means you believe in getting rid of all those illegal settlements in the West Bank and, e- and East Jerusalem. And then that's when they say, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> well, You know, my fear is that um, <laughs> this discussion, you know, um, it's a little bit of um, how to say, we don't have enough basis for it. And I think it's very important. Oh, no, 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 no. Me the I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you from covering this conflict, from having Israelis, uh, from having Israelis on the program and from talking with Palestinians and people in Lebanon and so forth, Israel is the problem. Israel is always the major roadblock to peace and to any solution. And the well, two state solution and the two state solution is dead. And many of the Palestinians within Palestine, within the diaspora, know that it's dead, hence why they call for a democratic one state solution. But they know but they recognize that it's very hard to sell that to Israel, hence why. They call, they ask the international community, they ask the international left for boycott, divestment, and sanctions to get to that. Yeah, well, okay, well, asking yes, asking the international the left anything isn't going to bring about a lot of effect because they don't have yes. much of a... And look, much, we much... could have had this conversation without Boyan being to Palestine, okay? And we can probably discuss it in a different show in terms of solutions. I have my ideas, but I have my ideas based on reading one of the famous, most famous writer that is Amos Oz, who's uh, the, the son of one of the ministers that was in the first Israeli government of Ben Gurion. So he had access to a lot of discussions taking place back then. And there were two factions between the ones who wanted a peaceful solution, a secular um, Jewish state, and the ones who wanted more violence and wanted to solve the problem through violent means. And this is very, very complicated. And I would say we should discuss it in a, in a different uh, segment of the show, also inviting other uh, people. But we should focus now on the refugee camp and tell us more. How was the place organized? And especially I'm curious to find out more about the condition of women And uh, I suspect that in situations like this, of course, the most vulnerable members of society, women, children, old people have it, you know, (laughs) are more exposed to violence and problems. And this is why I'm very curious to find out more about it. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I will not uh, make further references to the question of two or one state solutions. I will only I'm, I'm going to say just one sentence. There are problems which simply have no solutions. And it uh, increasingly seems that it's one such problem because I don't believe that neither of the sides uh, has a solution that in other, the other side would be prepared to accept. And I just want to say you're completely dead wrong on that. The Democratic okay. solution is the only game in town. Palestinians are uh, calling for it. The only problem is Israel itself. Uh, okay, yeah. It could be uh, it could be that the Israel is the problem, but I don't think that this problem, problem can be ignored uh, in, in a sense that that someone can can go go ahead and enforce anything on Israel at the at, uh, at the moment right now. But anyway, so uh, the question of the that's Israeli why we need the international community BDS and that, uh, okay. That's 
yeah uh, and then uh, w- uh, with regards to to the uh, to the camp now of course i don't know the details about uh, like how is life uh, of children or women in comparison to the life of men i think that it's in general it's tougher and uh, it's tougher for all those reasons that you of course listed out but it's also tougher because uh, there are uh, there are structural problems with regards to for example the position of women and one such problem which was uh, discussed um, quite extensively during one of the conferences that was organized in Ramallah uh, on the occasion of the 8th of March which is the International Women's Day was that women for example don't get uh, don't get paid during their retirement period. I mean, they can officially retire, but they don't get pensions, which is something uh, that unfortunately is linked to certain structural elements of of their reality, which is like, you know, the expectation that the retirement uh, during the period of when a couple is retired, when a married couple is retired, then the man takes um, sort of the financial responsibility to sustain it. I'm, I'm sorry to be cynical here, but what happens if he dies? I don't know. I haven't asked that question, actually. But uh, I suppose that there are some buffers. I don't know. I don't know what they are. I don't know what they are. But I think it was uh, it was actually explained during... Uh, I recorded a short interview with a person that explained uh, those nuances and uh, how they are working on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trying to balance the uh, <clears throat> the opportunities and the options and the chances. Uh, because it's not like women are barred from actually exercising certain jobs like for example they can be generals in the police and there are generals who are women in the Palestinian police there are judges who are women the problem is that you know when you're uh when you're a man and you retire from being a general a police general then you get like a very good life uh after that because you get you know the entire secretariat that you used to have with all the you know staff they are still with you until the end of your days, basically. So, uh, and of course, the retirement, the, the sum that you receive as your retirement benefit is uh, substantial. So uh, this is something that women cannot enjoy. And there are also many other problems, but uh, this is going to be part of the movie. <clears throat> now, as to children, now, this is very, this is very important because... Uh, you know, children are most uh, vulnerable in many ways, right? But and they are also susceptible to a lot of a lot of ideas which are which are dangerous for them, endangering their life, the life of their communities, and so on and so forth. One such thing is terrorism, and this is there are many terrorist groups which operate, including in the camps, uh, including the camp where I was, and this is openly admitted by the inhabitants of that camp, some of which uh, I met. Uh, this is all. This was acknowledged that those groups they don't operate in the way that it's presented in the media. Like you know that there are some people, bad people, who are you know kidnapping kids and then turn them into terrorists and make them blow themselves up somewhere on the streets of Jerusalem or any other mm-hmm. uh, you know city in the area. That's not how it happens. How it happens is that Israel created a situation where many people living in those camps, and not only in those camps, also outside in uh, area B, C, A, you know, in Palestine, uh, it's, uh, they don't have anything to do. They don't have, because there's like, you know, they are, they, 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 they are prevented from developing a proper economy. Uh, you know, many people who would like to set up businesses, they can't. If they want to find work, they can't work in, in this area. They have to work either for the settlers or somewhere in Israel, which basically prevents them from from doing anything else than working or passing through checkpoints because it's a, <clears throat> it's a hell of a problem or applying to get a permit and all the rest of it. It's, it's a very complicated bureaucratic procedure uh, and very humiliating, by the way. So 
I'm saying here that uh, there are people, many people, who simply have nothing to do, a lot of time on their hands, and they are being approached every once in a while by, you know, all kinds of dangerous organizations. They, it, there's a lot of talk about how those dangerous organizations are sponsored by Iran. No one believes that. No one believes that. Uh, I mean, really? some of them yeah, could be. Shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but no one believes that even in Israel, by the way. Like, at least according, you know, according to the the, the journalists that I've talked to. Uh, so, sponsors those organizations. Because there's a lot of guesses. Talk. There are many. <coughs> some guess that it could be Lebanon. Some other guess that it could be, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia. There's there's a lot of speculation. There's no concrete and specific knowledge. I mean, maybe the Israelis know that. Maybe the Mossad or the army in Israel knows that, but they're not sharing any evidence for uh, whom it could be, and they're just using it as a talking point in their propaganda, nationalistic often propaganda. So you know, those groups. There are dangerous groups who are, you know. Uh, who are involved in terrorism and stuff like that. And what they do is they they discuss with people, you know, in a given area where they feel they could recruit. And they they are successful sometimes recruiting this or that amount of people, but they don't pay them. They don't instruct them, go, go ahead and blow yourself up here or there. No, they pay them some amount of money. And again, it's also, there's a lot of speculation. Some say it's $2,000, some say it's more than that, just to be ready to do something when the time comes, according to the leaders of those organizations. Now, this is what I've heard. I have not been able, and I will not be able to corroborate that in any way, but I think it's an important, uh, I, I think it's crazy credible information provided that I've heard it from Palestinians. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So if they say that there are many there are many people who are involved in this activity, halfway kind of involved in a sense that they have not committed any act of terrorism, but they say or they declare that they are prepared to do that. And it's only because they are given some money that you know, allow their families to survive, basically. And, I, and of course, this is going to be encouraged by the circumstances. If you have a, a situation where, where the unemployment rate is 66%, then sorry, like anyone coming to you with money is always welcome. And you, if you don't really have a point in life, except, of course, uh, when you are cultivated by this ideology of resistance, <clears throat> uh, but, but then you know, if you really have nothing to do and you see the wall and you see the occasional Israeli raids and you hear the news about like nine people killed there, 10 people killed there, six people killed there, and it's every day, then you do come to a conclusion eventually, which is very logical that, yeah, well, you know, it's of course, and it's important to stress that in, in, in the Muslim religion, and I'm talking, you know, Muslims and Jews, unlike most of the Christians, they take their religion seriously. So if it says in the Muslim philosophy that you cannot commit suicide they you know they respect that but they found a kind of escape from it by just claiming that you can die for a cause you know so uh -huh. you can go and do certain things which uh which which involve you know a self-destruction yes or, because or you can always find you know this type exactly. of explanations exactly. but, but, that would go yeah. around the rules but, because if you think about it there was even this very cynical joke with the virgins that you will find virgins, mm -hmm. but maybe those dead virgins are very old nuns, Catholic nuns, right? So <laughs> it doesn't yeah. say exactly what age those virgins yeah, will yeah, be. Exactly. So, but what, and all sorts of ideas about how to go around the religious yeah. beliefs just to justify the cause and yeah, but, but what it boils down is not just a question of like certain ethics, but it also is, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is the economy. I mean, had there been normal jobs, had there been normal business environment, had there been like viable economy, those people wouldn't be doing that. And those, you know, gangsters who recruit them for this or that cause, uh, you know, they are 
they they wouldn't be able to operate, or at least not to such an extent. Okay, so this is this is like Israel can only thank itself for that. In a sense, like you want more terrorism, Israel, you're doing it well. That's the, that's the kind of you know uh, the, the 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 conclusion here, and I think that. You know, I really admire those people once again for uh, the kind of optimism and for the kind of philosophy that they uh, they adhere to uh, and, and and that they preach. That in in those circumstances where you can re- and, and you know they will they would even tell you things like you know you point at the wall and you go like wow it's really got to be scary to live here. I mean th- this is just an everyday the kind of everyday thing that you see, right? Like in your everyday life, you go out of your home and you see the big tower with the soldiers at the top of it. And, and you know, and they would go and tell you things like, for example, oh yeah, well, now it's actually more humane than it used to be because now they have water cannons in those towers, okay? So like if someone approaches the wall or I don't know, is climbing on it, they would use the water cannon instead of uh, shooting you dead, like with a machine gun or something, which used to be the case uh, before, right? So, so, you know, you know, like the, the kind of responses that they give you, the kind of responses that they give you, it shows that they live in a different reality, in a different world. And, and you know, it's amazing that you can actually adopt to it and you can live like three, four generations in this kind of circumstance and not kind of implode as a society. They are very strong people. They believe in the goal and they believe the goal is to have a solution. Uh, and uh, to to their problem, and probably as Yuri said, most of them believe that the only solution is the the kind of one w- one mm-hmm, one state. Mm-hmm. But you know they believe in it, and uh, they might eventually, you know, they might eventually, if it is solvable, in fact, uh, live to you know to the point when it is solved in some way. Uh, and they're hoping for that, and I think this hope is is their most important uh, the kind of element that uh, that makes their life possible. Here's a fun fact, though, about the uh, here, 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 here. Here's a fun little known fact about the uh, terrorism and, and, you know, and, and the people who I wouldn't say are are groomed to do it. Although, you know, although there is mm-hmm, you know, definitely mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. of that. But, but 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 here's a fun fact. Hamas, which I which I think is still the ruling party in uh, Gaza when they were you know, being formed as a, uh, you know, as a terrorist organization and a rival terrorist organization, uh, you know, to, 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 to overthrow the occupation. The palace, because of, you know, their, because of the conservative Islamic ideology that, you know, that goes with Hamas, uh, there was lots of, you know, clashes between the Palestinians. The Palestinian <laughs> Liberation Organization under Arafat actually was asking Israel, hey, can you do something about, uh, 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 you know, about this group, about this new, uh, about, you know, about this nuisance uh, group? But Israel actually allowed Hamas to form because they actually wanted, uh, because, they, because they act, because, you know, the, because the PLO, that's who you can do business with. That's who you can actually have a viable solution to this, to, you know, you know, to this mess. But Israel, actually wanted Hamas to basically be the main dog in town. That way they can sell to the international community that there is no, uh, there is no reasoning with these unreasonable uh, people and so forth like that. So just like how the British and the Americans and their allies actually tolerated radical Islam, Wahhabi Islam to, uh, to, to, to be a dominant force, whether it was in Afghanistan and elsewhere, Israel basically allowed Hamas 
and Islamic Jihad to formulate, hoping that they could be the top dog in town and that they can continue indefinitely settler colonialism and whatnot. Yeah, okay, but I want to say that uh, this is probably also uh, turning. Um, I mean, it's not it's not developing the way uh, Israel would have imagined that it would be probably developing because from all I can see, and again, uh, you know, I'm not an expert, but from all I can see, Hamas is making moves in order to become the kind of uh, you know to give up armed struggle and become the kind of Sinn Fein. Like it's uh, you, uh, yeah, you know, yes, exactly. In, in, this is, this in, is what in they're fact, trying to fact, do. In fact, in fact, in fact, when they were elected. Uh, when they were elected sometime after the death of Yasser Arafat some, and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and Mahmoud Abbas, uh, again, not many people know that because the Western media deliberately doesn't tell you this. Israeli media, of course, is never going to tell the Israelis this. But basically, Hamas actually called for a 10-year ceasefire with Israel, actually recognized the state of Israel, but said when it comes to how we deal with the uh, how we deal with the Palestinian question we're willing to be at the negotiating table but 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 we need to have a 10 year ceasefire in order to get there so yeah okay yeah. well uh, i wasn't so aware are, of they, that. They, they, in other words in, in, in other words like you say they have more or less adopted the, the kind of you know Sinn Féin yeah. approach to uh, yeah i think so i think so that's that's my impression but also you know the the other question which we're going to speak about that extensively in the movie uh, which we're putting together but uh, you know the palestinian authority is not like uh, some a kind of ideal state or you know a kind of a structure of authority that you necessarily uh, would be very satisfied to have in place in your country for example i mean let me just mention the fact that in the west bank they haven't had elections for the last 16 years and of course i mean they they give all kinds of explanations that israel is preventing us from doing it. well i'm sure israel is is not making it easy for you but i've spoken to diplomats even and they said like come on i mean this is ridiculous they could open the uh, you know they could put the ballot boxes in our embassies and many embassies do favor Or, or like or, or support the Palestinian cause. So it's not like it's entirely, you know, the fault of Israel and stuff like that. They are, in fact, afraid. I mean, the PLO is afraid that they might simply lose those elections, you know, and, and then things really could fall out of their hands and, and, and could a lot of chaos could uh, could occur. And officially. And, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Yeah, so I, I just want to say that, you know, and also in the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian, you know, the police, the structures, the authority, the prime minister office and everything, there are many allegations of huge corruption. And, you know, many Palestinians will also tell you that, yes, our authorities are profoundly corrupt and they uh, they uh, and and. They trust them less and less, which is another problem because the community which wants to, you know, celebrate its solidarity and wants to work uh, on the basis of it. When you have a leadership which is profoundly corrupt, then, you know, you have other forces emerging. And when you have all those dangerous forces in place, which are also conducting their propaganda, then you get conflicts within that community, which is based on solidarity. But the solidarity cracks when, for example, I don't know, people who subscribe to Islamic Jihad or to other groups which <laughs> operate within the Palestinian community they have you know they they have very violent conflicts within that community okay which also end uh, in in violent criminal you know uh kind of uh situations so i you know there are many many problems and it's a huge pile of things 
okay, which has to be confronted somehow. And because no one is willing to confront that, I mean, I'm talking about like people with authority, people with power, like the uh, Israeli government is trying to make it even more difficult, you know, all the time for the Palestinians hoping you know, that probably hoping that they can finally push them away, get rid of them, and then have it all. And the history so far has proved that Israel has attempted it, but it cannot have it all because the Palestinians, they've learned to live this hard, this life full of hardship, and they can set, they can have families, they can have progress, including demographic progress. I mean, <coughs> you know, again, we're coming back to this, circling back to this, this discussion that we had, Yuri. I can't quite see how Israel is imagining, I mean, probably the Israeli army has some kind of plans, how to expel all the uh, all the Palestinians by force, but I just can't quite see that they can do that. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I, I really don't see how are you going to push away 6 million people, which is like the population of Gaza and the population of West Bank combined. Like, I just don't see how, uh, how you're going to do that. Same as I don't see how you're going to take away like 1 million uh, settlers from within the territory, the territory referred to as the West Bank. So it's all like, you know, everybody has some plans, some visions. Those visions have fallen apart, in my opinion, if you think materialistically about certain, uh, you know, dimensions of certain uh, situations. So I, I, I don't quite see. And then, you know, on top of everything now, which I've explained, uh, then you have this crisis, political crisis in Israel. Okay, and what it has shown, what it has demonstrated, especially the visit of Lloyd Austin to Tel Aviv a couple of days ago, more than a week ago when I was there, you know, when Lloyd Austin said in a very open and categorical manner that the United States are going to support Israel only if it remains a democracy. Uh, whatever it means, like I don't want to go into uh, into it right now. But what it yeah. means is that he was trying, he was he was showing, he was demonstrating that if you don't, uh, you know, if you go too far with certain things which we don't agree, we're gonna maybe not withdraw our support fully. But it's enough, and Israel realizes that, and I'm sure Netanyahu and Smotrich and Ben Gavir and all those crazy people they know about it. That what it takes is for the United States to demonstrate that their support weakens. And then there are, you know, circles in the European Union or other parts of the so-called collective West, which are just waiting for that to declare, for example, you know, or to push or to lobby intensely uh, to declare Israel, I don't know, apartheid state or something like this. And then the whole Israeli concept is going to fold because they just depend on this. Okay. I mean, they depend on, on, uh, on America for their own existential kind of, you know, for the survival. So it's all very, very complicated. And uh, and, and I, I think that uh, it's very, it's almost impossible to predict how things are going to go. I can see everybody hoping that within this mess internationally that's been created, uh, you know, especially over the last uh, 12 months uh, with the war in Ukraine and, you know, all the rest of it, I think everybody's hoping that this cemented structure that both of the sides have lived in over the well, since the inception of the Israeli state is going to crack here and there, and maybe some ways, some doors are going to open, some some room, some room is going to open for some kind of you know new negotiations, new solutions, new ideas, new whatever. We'll see about that. But as I say, I mean, we've just touched upon certain things in those three uh, segments here where I explained my impressions from my trip to uh, Palestine. But uh, we're, I really hope we're going to be able to cover more and in a more competent manner in the uh, documentary that we're putting together. Actually, just before we close, just before we close, here's another fun fact, uh, because, because this has been on my mind all the time since you said uh, uh, 
well, well, but before I explain something about the Palestinian Authority, again, remind people of, you know, of the organization, the delegation you were part of when you went to Palestine, because it's very important. And it's a very good segue to explain what the Palestinian Authority really does. Yeah, so and- we were we were part of a delegation of, of you know, a journalistic mission, uh, as they referred to it in the official documents, uh, organized under the auspices of UPOL COPS. Uh, and we were a few journalists from uh, from Ireland, from Belgium, from Poland, from Italy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and thanks to you, Paul Cops, we were able to go to all those places uh, and speak to, you know, many people and also go to not only and see like, you know, their everyday life and how they live in this refugee camp or in this town or in this village or in this uh, city like Ramallah. Uh, but we were also able to, you know, meet diplomats and meet people who are, mm, you know, not the ordinary, not your average Joe, not your not the ordinary citizen. So, uh, yeah, that's that's it. Because the Palestinian Authority, uh, because, because you know, the Palestinian Authority, particularly in the West Bank, I don't know too much about the about about the complicated politics when it comes to, you know, East Jerusalem, which is another which is another thorny subject altogether. But the Palestinian Authority, what the who who the West does business with, what the Gulf states and and the international community often does business uh, with. Which is Fatah, which is which is, which is you know led by Mahmoud Abbas, who's been the leader since uh, since the death of uh, Yasser Arafat. They basically are the colonial viceroys, if you will, when it comes to the occupation and living under the occupation of uh, Israel. And more and more, they do the dirty work of Israel when it comes to finding. Uh, when it comes to finding the resistance and snuffing them out, uh, if you will, uh, uh, and dealing with uh, you know anyone who does you know the uh, who does any form of resistance, nonviolence or otherwise, more and more that's been more and more it's the Palestinian Authority that's been doing that under the leadership of uh, Mahmoud uh, Abbas. And which is another reason why, you know, Israel and the international community, which is the European Union, France, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, prefers an obedient client, which is, you know, the Palestinian Authority under Mahmoud Abbas, as opposed to, well, anyone, uh, you know, anyone else, Hamas uh, Hamas or a rival secular leftist, uh, you know, party. Okay, I I don't know about that, honestly, so I cannot really uh, make it. Now you do. (laughs) Now you do. (laughs) It's why I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, just wanted to mention that. So, okay, I think it was informative, and I think uh, this shows that we need to discuss more about this topic maybe in the near future, but uh, we will wait for the documentary. I'm pretty sure it will be informative. This is a very, very complicated story, and it just shows that solutions based on the security apparatus lead basically nowhere, that you need a vision, a political vision, and uh, creative ideas to solve problems because using sheer force just complicates and amplifies problems instead of solving them. Uh, I think this is a very safe conclusion to be drawn here. And um, also, I would like to thank very much Boyan for sharing his impression and Yuri for uh, informing us. Apparently, this is a topic that was close and it was um, 
preoccupied him a lot because he has a lot of information uh, uh, on it. And uh, to the viewers, if you liked what you saw, please consider subscribing to our channel. Please consider making a monthly donation. We have a small community of donors to whom we are very thankful. And we will be happy if you would consider joining that community that supports on the barricades. Now, um, Thank you all again, and uh, stay tuned. We'll come back with more information on Eastern Europe, more debates, commentary, political... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't get intimidated by this, like, three uh, episodes in Palestine. We're going to keep focusing on Eastern Europe. Eastern it's just Europe. an exceptional situation, right? All right, all right. <laughs> okay. Thanks so okay. much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks.